Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about cleavage theory. All right, Cassandra, what is cleavage theory? It's essentially the social and cultural line that divides citizens within a society with differing political interests, resulting in a conflict amongst those groups. And it's usually brought about by a huge event, like a historical kind of bang. So when we took our first political science class, I found this one of the most confusing topics. Um, However, I challenged myself and I, I did write a paper about this. So I like that definition and I think that's a great starting off point. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's let's talk about these divides. We have three main cleavages that we've seen throughout history, I guess. Two for sure and one debated. Yeah. The the last one is like is it happening now? Is it actually happening? Has it already happened? Yeah. We're historians are figuring it out. That's not on us. The the first one is the church and state divide, which kind of started or in the middle of it, was 1789, the National Revolution. Well, it starts with the Reformation in Europe. So it begins with the Reformation between Protestants and Catholics, and then it extends into the National Revolution starting in 1789. Ah. Yeah. Essentially, this cleavage was tried to answer the question, how much should the church be involved involved in government? And it... I mean, at the time, way back when, they were almost one and the same. Like, if you were part of a church, the church kind of controlled everything. Yeah, and so when we saw the first political divide regarding... Well, when we first, when we first saw the divide, it began between the Protestants and the Catholics. So mm-hmm. the Reformation led the Catholic Church and sort of churches th- throughout Europe to sort of split. And we, we should make a quick note. This theory specifically applies to Europe, European politics. Right. And so it's very almost nearly impossible to translate it to American or any other politics. Yeah, we can't really relate it. And on top of that, each the way each country kind of resolved the church and state conflict is very different. Yeah. So it's we're going to be talking about a very broad church and state. Yeah, and so I mean there were there were wars regarding Protestant and Catholic churches in many European countries whereas some European countries wasn't as a big deal. Like mm-hmm. they still coexisted and just accepted each other's difference in religious views and so that's where we start so now we have reformation and or protestants and catholics right and then after that became or i guess came about the democratic revolution so how democracies were going to be set up with the new split between protestants and catholics and so this starts in 1789 with the french revolution so this was the first transition from a autocracy or i guess kingdom to a modern day democracy of course there's different democratic unions throughout europe but this is the first established one and so we're gonna this now created a cleavage between the protestants and the catholics itself based on how much they think they should be involved in politics yeah i don't know too much about it but all i know now is that church and state are separated yes (laughs) and so that's that's cleavage number one church and state divide the second one is the Industrial Revolution, which I guess is easily called the worker-owner cleavage. Which makes sense. You have the owners of factories and you have the workers in the factories. Yeah, so 
at the time in I guess middle late 19th century the landed gentry had economic and political power which meant essentially they had the means um, to control everything because they had so much money so landed gentry the way I remember is it they owned the land that's why they're called the landed gentry that's how I remember it (laughs) and then after that we have what the bourgeoisie which is the capital owning class which is right below the landed gentry so that's in urban environments they're the people that own the factories Mm -hmm. and then under that is the peasantry which worked on the field so essentially they kind of worked for the landed gentry so they worked on the land that the landed gentry owned yes and now we have one more the working class so these guys kind of worked for the bourgeoisie so these were the uh worked in the factories that the bourgeoisie owned And so when you think about this in the context of history, during the Industrial Revolution, urban environments were pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, Bad working conditions. And so people that couldn't really find a job in the country came to the city. And that's why the peasantry are commonly above the working class. Mm -hmm. And then from there, where do we move on? What happened was in the late 19th century, there was a realization by the peasantry and working class that despite not necessarily having the means and the money, they have the majority. And with that majority, they believe they should have some control over what decisions are being made that affect them directly. Yeah, so let's tie this all back to cleavage theory. Cleavage theory, when it was first developed by two scholars named Rokan and Lipset, it is more or less a family tree of how these parties developed into modern-day political Mm -hmm. parties. So you have cleavage number one, church and state. So first you have the divide with the church, Protestant or Catholic, then you have the divide in how much they should be involved. So now you have four different people. And so like a family tree, you have different splits from there. And so the Industrial Revolution, it created, I don't want to say like treaties between groups, but it was essentially that. Mm-hmm. And so based on what treaties emerged, if the bourgeoisie decided to pair with the landed gentry or like the bourgeoisie decided to support the peasantry or something like that, that from there, based on religious and political preferences and like these parties would then split further right so it's i don't know it sounds very simple but also really really complicated yeah so when i i first read the rokan and lipset paper it describes this really complex dichotomy it's really dense reading it's, it's really dense reading but good news it's not that bad once you get over the hump of the language mm-hmm. it's really it, it is a family tree you have these different paths you can take to a resulting political party yeah and so before we move on to our third demo or third cleavage let's talk about the freezing hypothesis real quick so the freezing hypothesis really says that as more cleavages are occurring it gets to a point where they get stuck there's nobody really knows how to move forward from where they're at which is not the best definition at all um but essentially they're stuck on the previous cleavages not creating more cleavages yes so the way i always thought about this is the political parties stay the same Mm -hmm. what changes is the values oh Okay, so we have these divisions causing our political parties. So you have like the left, the social democrats, the Christian democrats, based on like what happened in these previous cleavages. Mm -hmm. Now, in modern European politics, these parties will choose what they believe 
talking about the median voter theorem. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, so really quickly, think of a, if you guys know, a bell curve. So it's highest in the middle and then lower on the other end. So think about two different bell curves on opposite sides of the spectrum. The top is where the majority of voters or policies that people agree with on each side. The median voter theorem says that in order to gain more support in their respective party, each party will go closer and closer to the middle. So essentially their, I guess, platform becomes wider to incorporate more support. And essentially it says like every party is going towards the same middle ground. So I, I agree with this. Um, and I think this is a great definition. I'd like to point out a quick note. This is specifically in two-party systems. Yes. So this really only applies to the American system because it's the only true two-party system we know. However, it does apply to the European politics system, but not in median voter theory, in vacuum voter theory. Okay? So essentially, on this bell curve, there's different people who believe different things, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the people are in the middle, but they usually have established parties. So those are the centrist parties, but then there's vacuums of people on the outside or regardless where they are these parties will try to move into where the vacuums are so that they capture more of the voter. Okay. If that makes any yeah. sense. Okay. So this will now bring us back to the transnational cleavage. We've established that these parties are sort of set in stone and by freezing parties, there's sort of always been there. The question is what they believe in. Right. And so we, we're going to talk about this on a separate episode, but these Galtan divides. Mm-hmm. Um, that specifically determines which one is their prominent belief, which one is their not-so-prominent belief. Right. Now, let's talk about our last cleavage. Cassandra, lead us in. The transnational cleavage, like we've said, is something that's debated on whether it's happening today, has already happened, or is going to happen. Um, it's, the foundation of it is the growing social tensions that have come about because of increased immigration, globalization, the world is getting smaller, um, it says that parties are being forced to choose a side, which then goes back to the medium voter theory of the two parties getting closer and closer together. Um, yeah, I, I really, this one really confuses me. The other two make sense. This is where I kind of get lost. All right, let's think about it this way. So you have your established parties, right? From these parties, you can have children of parties, um, However, in this case, it's always just a split off of a party, if that makes any sense. So you have the original party. Now you have the original party and a split. Okay. That split is the radical split. Right. Okay. So that's either the alt-right, alt-left, whatever that radical association is with that party. And they're usually a party that believes anti-immigration, anti-globalization. And so really, these really left-leaning and really right-leaning radical parties actually have some things in common. So mm. usually they start competing about like, oh, we don't want any more immigration, like, oh, we don't want any more this, etc., etc., to the point where this is debated as the third cleavage, the third main cleavage because it separates left and right, but more specifically it separates it into radical parties. So this cleavage essentially just explains that it, within each party, there are the radical splits that are occurring yeah, around the world. Yeah, so for example, one is the AFD, the Alternative für Deutschland, 
that's the very radical right party in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they probably stemmed from a more conservative party. And now it's just that conservative party still exists. Now there's just the conservative party and the AfD. Which believes more thoroughly on certain... Anti-immigration. Right. Anti-globalization. We need jobs. Not necessarily grounded in logic sometimes. Okay. And so we have our German state cleavage, which continues the family tree. We have our industrial revolution cleavage, which also continues the family tree. Then we have this not really continuation of this two-person split from the family tree. It's the carry down of the original party plus a stem off into the radical. Okay. So it's like a big party with a bunch of little children. Exactly. Versus the two and two. Perfect. Great description. (laughs) Um, So one thing that sort of stems from this transnational cleavage is the fear of democracy. And authoritarian regimes coming into power. Yes. So let's briefly talk about democratic backsliding. So democratic backsliding is a liberalism when the all of the i guess goals or standards of democracy just don't fall into place that you're missing one or two or even all of the key characteristics of democracy for example free and fair elections no longer happen Uh, you don't have equal suffrage Um, these are sort of the definitions of democracy you have fair elections universal suffrage Um, the state is accountable for the elected body and the freedom of expression and association. So as soon as these things start to fail, that's where you sort of have have democratic backsliding happening. And this has happened a few times in Europe. Mm -hmm. You see um, the Nazi party, most famously. Mm -hmm. You have communist regimes, Eastern Europe, the Soviet Union. You have some of these. You You even have some modern cases where you start to see things maybe start to fail. Hungary is a common case of this, but we're going to talk about democratic backsliding and liberalism in a further podcast to really dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think that covers our three cleavages. Yeah. What um, would you like to add about cleavage theory itself? I would say, I don't know, there's something about the winners and losers of globalization as it regards cleavage theory. So as each cleavage happens and it branches out is one... I guess, stem better off than the other. And in that case, what do you do? Or can you do anything about it? I 100% agree with that. It's uh, the modern question, really, as, le- as it evolves in cleavage theory, at least. It's, it's a very big question as to see where scholars will continue to develop this theory if it no longer represents the winners and losers of globalization, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All right, and I'd like to add a few last closing remarks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a paper about cleavage theory, um, as I mentioned, and it really pushed me outside of these bounds. And the one big takeaway I had is that these cleavages look drastically different based on historical and cultural context. So based on each country in Europe, these cleavages, they exist. That's right. They just look very different. Okay. So just like the specifically church and state divide looks different country to country. It's kind of all cleavages that that happens to. Each cleavage looks slightly different. And so it's very difficult to compare. However, they all happen. At least that's what the theory says. And that's what I found in my paper. (laughs) Um, And they also, let me, let me see how to phrase this real quick. They also, they, they just describe the party formation. They don't necessarily describe the views of that party. Okay. Let me put it that way. 
so a social democrat in france might believe something very different than a social democrat in germany but the path based on these cleavages that they had to the formation of a party based on those values is relatively similar so like everybody went everybody in college went to college but the way they got from elementary middle high school might be different sure yeah i like that in a very basic (laughs) in a very basic way that is correct all right yeah so we hope you learned a thing or two about cleavage theory with us on the european soapbox and join us next week see you guys The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry. All music is produced by Till Iringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.